Hello, and welcome to Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation's podcast. We support people affected by all forms of lung cancer and work to raise awareness of symptoms to ensure more people are diagnosed earlier. We fund research into early detection and patient experience, as well as providing life-changing support services to people who are living with lung cancer. We're thrilled to be launching our Let's Talk About Lung Cancer podcast. With this and the coming episodes, we hope to educate, inform and encourage more conversations around lung cancer, because the reality is, lung cancer can affect anyone. For this episode, we are delighted to be joined by Carol Stoneham, MBE, who is a nurse practitioner, and we also welcome back respiratory consultant, Dr. Emma O'Dowd. Once again, we're hosted by our Director of Prevention, Information and Support, Lorraine Dallas. So, let's talk about lung cancer. Today, we are going to be looking at the topic of diagnosis and exploring how people come to have a lung cancer diagnosis. Around 46,000 people in the UK are diagnosed each year. And for many, their diagnosis comes late. And we're all working hard to change that. So today we want to look a bit more at the process of how people find out about their diagnosis and treatment. What route people take, noticing symptoms, presenting to GP, being seen by a GP or a nurse practitioner, and then being referred for tests and on to secondary care. It can be confusing when you're faced with a cancer diagnosis. So we want to explore how all these moving parts align What are the roles of the various healthcare professionals within the process? How can a patient or someone close to them help themselves through the process? How can you equip yourself to be your own advocate? And what questions should you be asking? Welcome, Carol and Emma, to this podcast. Can I ask you first, Carol, when someone is worried about some symptoms, possibly thinking about lung cancer, perhaps not. What happens when they present primary care and what kind of tests might the GP carry out? Thanks, Lorraine. Well, it's quite a complicated pathway. And I think the first thing to think about is when a patient presents in primary care with a symptom that might or might not be lung cancer, it might be something else as well. And I think it it may not be in the patient's foremost, foremost in the patient's mind and it may not be foremost in the clinician's mind. But what generally happens is the clinician, so it may be, as you say, it may be a GP, it may be a nurse practitioner, it may be a paramedic or a clinical pharmacist. Our teams are growing all the time. What they will do is take a good history from the patient. So ask about symptoms, ask about how long they've been there, ask about any related symptoms, ask about things that make it better, make it worse, and quite importantly, ask about family history. And then from that information, they try to untie what potentially might be the underlying cause. And often they don't come up with one cause. So what generally happens is the patient will then be referred on for the appropriate tests. And what they tend to be are a lung function test so that rules in or out things like a condition called COPD so that's chronic obstructive pulmonary disease asthma other symptoms uh, other conditions but doesn't always give a clue to lung cancer and the thing that gives the clue to lung cancer is a chest x-ray so what we really want our clinicians to be thinking about and what we want our patients to advocate for is if they have symptoms that could potentially be lung cancer they get a chest x-ray and they get it done quickly 
Having said that, there is a quicker way to do things. So if it is more obvious that it could potentially be lung cancer, then there's a different pathway when the patient gets referred through to see the consultant, usually gets a CT scan on the way, and then it sort of bypasses that uncertain period. But that has to be a more sort of definitive or likelihood of a, a lung cancer diagnosis. And again, you you touched a bit on the fact that symptoms, things we experience, changes we experience in our health might have a range of causes. And, and we know from the period in which we've, we've adjusted through the COVID pandemic that there can be many reasons why someone may have a cough or may feel breathless. So are those the kind of symptoms that you would want people to discuss with their GP that may lead to a lung cancer diagnosis? Yeah, absolutely. And I think people tend to generally, people tend to think that as they get a little bit older, they might be getting a bit more breathless. If they're smokers, they might just cough. But those aren't normal symptoms. And I think it is a case of making sure that when you see your healthcare professional, you you, you t explain the symptoms that you're getting and the length of time they've been happening for. And I think you touched on COVID. I think the other interesting thing about having gone through COVID is the way we get to see or not our family doctor or our nurse practitioner. And I think we need to get used to doing things in a different way. So the majority of consultations start off now as either a, an online form that you fill in. That can be quite lengthy and quite difficult or a sort of a virtual consultation. So a, a sort of a, a Zoom type conversation when you're talking to each other that way or even just a phone call. And I think we it's really, really important at that point for patients to be really clear on what's going on because the clinician has a very limited view of, of what's going on. And if you downplay your symptoms, then they're likely to just give you a course of antibiotics or a sort of a quick treatment and not get you in for that full examination. So I think that's really important as well. Well, a key message there is if somebody does experience changes and cough, weight loss, pain or breathlessness, that when they have contact with primary care, whether that's by phone or video conference or face-to-face -face or by form, it's really important that they don't just dismiss um, their symptoms, that they accurately see how frequently they're happening, how severe they are, and perhaps how long they've been. Are those the sort of key things that you would want people to be be talking about at that kind of uh, appointment? Yeah, and, and things, as I say, things that you might easily put down to just getting a bit older, just being a bit less fit, the breathlessness type thing. It's just an irritating cough. It's the taking the just out of the conversation and saying, I have an irritating cough, I am more breathless, not I'm just a bit more breathless, mm -hmm. not downplaying. And I think we, it's human nature when somebody says, how are you? You say, I'm fine, that we tend to downplay our symptoms. And I think it's really important that that doesn't happen in this instance. Thanks. And if someone has had contact with primary care and they perhaps are still having their symptoms, we know sometimes, for example, people might have a prescription for antibiotics, they may have inhalers, there might be different things, as you say, to explore to work out what might be the cause of the symptoms. If somebody's symptoms don't improve after after those kind of treatments, should they go back? Should they ask for, for more input from their primary care team? Absolutely. If you don't go back, then the not the assumption, but the the way primary care works is most primary care practices have between seven and thirty thousand patients. A lot of people, 
And if somebody sees you for what looks like a sort of a one-off problem, gives you treatment and you don't come back, the assumption is that actually you're better and that that treatment did the job. If it doesn't do the job or it only partially does the job, then it's really important to go back to that person or to go back to the practice and say, okay, so I came in with these symptoms, you gave me this treatment and I'm not better. Not just to sort of have the, it's very easy to have the attitude, well, I tried, they gave me treatment, it made me any better, I'm not going back again. Absolutely not, go back. It's it's the right thing to do to go back and just make sure that your clinician is aware that you're not better so that the next step can can start working really. Thanks, Carol. And that links in with an area, Emma, that I know you have previously done some research in, which is for once we find people who have a lung cancer diagnosis and look back at what's happened before they were diagnosed, they may well have been involved with primary care, not just as a one-off, as Carol's saying, but having to go back and follow up if their symptoms haven't been effectively treated with, with whatever has been prescribed. Can you tell us a bit more about that kind of experience of of, of before diagnosis and, and, and what we know about that? Yeah, so I think we have um, seen when we did some research using some primary care data um, that often people who are diagnosed haven't only consulted one or two times um, with primary care before their diagnosis in that sort of few months in the run-up. Um, and I think that just highlights often how difficult it can be um, to try and unpick the person who truly does have lung cancer from the person who um, has COPD with a cough and needs different treatment. And, and we know that um, for each GP, they may only see one lung cancer a year, despite the fact that there are lots of cases of lung cancer. So it's about um, trying to identify that person who does need further tests and the point that they they need further tests and referral on. Um, and that can be difficult. And I think I would echo what Carol says is that if your symptoms are not settling, it's so important to go back and to highlight that actually things are not getting better. As a part of our commitment to helping anyone affected by lung cancer, we have a free lung cancer Ask the Nurse helpline to provide information, advice and support. You may want to know more about a lung cancer diagnosis, a type of treatment, or what support is available near you. Whatever your question, we will make time for you and go out of our way to give you the help and support you need. Call us now on 0800 358 7200. And in terms of taking over from one somebody's uh, been to primary care, there's a concern there that there, there might be symptoms or experiences that indicate lung cancer. Can you tell us a bit more, Emma, about who, which healthcare staff are involved in doing the tests and diagnosing someone with lung cancer? Yeah, so um, often if you've seen your GP um, and there's a concern that there might be a cancer, you'll be told that you'll be referred on something called the two-week wait pathway. Um, and what that basically means is that um, someone is going to do a test to try and either confirm that you have a cancer or not within that first two weeks. Um, and for lung cancer, what we tend to do is a CT scan in people where that suspicion is high. They may initially have had an x-ray. Um, so the likelihood is, is that you would be invited up to the hospital to have a scan of your chest. Um, and based on the results of that scan, you would then come and see someone in clinic um, to talk about it. Sometimes we do a scan and actually it doesn't show that someone's got lung cancer and we can be reassuring and let people know um, the results of the scan. But once you come up to clinic, you would tend to see um, someone like me, so a chest doctor. 
Um, and we would again talk about symptoms, talk about the results of the scan um, and talk about what tests need to be done next. Um, and often if we think someone has got um, a lung cancer, what we'll be trying to do is confirm that if someone's fit enough and that normally involves um, doing a biopsy. And there are lots of different ways we can do a biopsy and that all depends on where the cancer is, how fit the person is um, and what tests are available in that local hospital. So there's a variety of different tests that we might do. So people may, for example, go along to the x-ray department um, and have a biopsy from part of the lung. They might stay with us and we would do a camera test into the lung, something called a bronchoscopy, um, and either take a sample from some of the lymph glands or again from the abnormal area in the lung. Um, or you might have a biopsy from another area. So it, it all depends. And we try to do that all very quickly as well so that people can get to the end of that pathway. Um, and normally what would happen is alongside us, they would also meet one of our lung cancer nurse specialists. Um, and they're really important. Um, so they provide a lot of support, a lot of advice, and they're there as a point of contact for that person right the way through the pathway. So they've got one person that they can talk to. Um, and once you have a diagnosis and um, you would then go on to meet one of our doctors who delivers treatment and that could be an oncologist so there are two sorts of oncologists there are oncologists who deliver drug treatment and there are oncologists who deliver radiation treatment or you might be someone who might have an operation in which case you would go on to meet a surgeon um, and we also have um, our palliative care doctors and they're experts in managing symptoms. So we often ask them to see people alongside some of the other doctors just to talk about troublesome symptoms and how we might be able to manage those. So it's a real group of people. And what we try to do is, is introduce people to the, to the right person at the right point in the pathway. But um, normally our lung nurses are really that sort of anchor throughout the whole pathway. Um, and they, they would be that point of contact. Thanks, Emma. That's really helpful in setting the scene for the people that are involved during diagnosis. And and Carol, do you, from your experience, at that point where people are perhaps beginning to worry they might have a cancer, but at this point we don't quite know, does primary care have a role here? Do people come back and phone um, into their GP worrying about how long things are taking or what's going to happen next? What would you say the relationship is between the primary care team who might have referred somebody for diagnosis and the secondary care team who are, who are investigating? I think that's a really important point. And, and, and you're right, the primary care team still has a big role to play here. So the, your primary care team are your sort of cradle to grave, everybody, everything type care. And we'll still be holding your case alongside the specialist colleagues that do it that are, that are undertaking investigation and treatment and I think it is always worth being in touch with your primary care team uh, as I say for support really good place for support on top of what can be offered from the hospital but for somebody that knows your other conditions and the other things that are going on around you as you say we do get calls from patients saying what what's happened with my referral how long am i going to be waiting and often you can be reassured that the referral has at least gone through often we can't tell you more than that with the system but the other thing is that your specialist doctors and your specialist nurses also will be liaising with your primary care team so it won't be that your general practitioner or your your nurse at the surgery doesn't know anything about what's going going on sometimes there's a delay in the information flow so it may be that you know before we know um, but it's definitely worth being in touch with the, with that team just so that you've got that ongoing support and you've got somebody overseeing 
the whole of your sort of being, the whole of your medical conditions, the whole of your social conditions, psychological conditions, for example. Emma, would it be fair to say that what we're trying to do is ensure that between primary care and the hospital secondary care teams, we're trying to ensure that the people who need to be diagnosed and need treatment are seen as quickly and smoothly as possible and what are your reflections really on on how that how that system works on and in a sense how best we can ensure that people feel they know what's happening during during that uncertain time yeah so i think you're right we do use a lot of terms that perhaps people aren't as uh, aren't as familiar with um so what we term that cancer pathway um which is from that moment that your gp thinks that there's a suspicion of lung cancer and they make a referral to the hospital what we try to do is make that as quick and as joined up as we possibly can um with as few delays as possible um and i think it's really important firstly that people are aware that they they have been referred on a cancer pathway and in lung cancer actually most of our patients are very much aware that that there's a suspicion of cancer and they've been referred um, and for lots of what we do to try and reduce the delays is we try and do a scan of the chest before we actually see someone so we don't make them wait for an appointment to see us their first appointment is often to have a ct scan of the chest because that's very good at ruling in or ruling out um, a lung cancer so we do our best to try and move that as early as possible um, and then we see people very quickly afterwards um, and i think certainly cancer pathways um, are given a priority in terms of time because we know that time matters in particularly in cancers like lung cancer we don't want people to be waiting a very long time, um, not only because it will cause a lot of anxiety, a lot of distress, um, but also we know that cancer like lung cancer, it's important to get people diagnosed as quickly as possible um, because certainly it's it's not a, always a slow growing cancer. It's something where things can change um, within a few weeks and certainly we don't want people to be waiting a few months. Um, so if you've been told that you've been referred on a cancer pathway, you would expect to have an appointment within two weeks. And if you are not hearing within that time, then I wouldn't sit back and wait. Um, I would certainly start chasing what is happening just, just to make sure that um, something hasn't happened in terms of the referral. Most of the time, that isn't a problem. Um, we rarely get people where actually there is an issue. Um, but I think it's important not to just sit back and think that my referral's gone in, therefore I'll get an appointment and I'll just sit back and wait. So again, that, that's a role for somebody while they're waiting, um, is to be aware of the time that's been involved and to, to kind of follow up if necessary um, while, while, while they're having their investigations. And I'm going to ask another question um, of both of you, perhaps uh, Carol first, but at the moment we're very aware of the pressures on the NHS and I, I know sometimes that we speak to people on our, our helpline who don't want to be burdensome, don't want to overuse services, but at the same time they're worrying about symptoms. Carol, in terms of, of people, if you like, making the most of healthcare, um, what would you say to somebody who's either currently waiting for, for cancer tests or who's worried about cancer and perhaps a bit reluctant to, to take up primary care time? What do you, what do you think is imp important to, to say on that? 
so I think it's really important that, that this absolutely is not seen as a waste of time and this isn't seen as something in addition. These are the patients, these are the people that we really, really need to diagnose quickly. And I think it's okay. What I would suggest that pay, that people do is to be prepared for their appointment. So think in advance what it is you want to say. And I know they're really hard words to say, but if you think you've got lung cancer, tell your clinician you think you've got lung cancer because that will make them really take you seriously but it'll also let them know what you're thinking so i think this is if it's a, an acute cough if it's a, a cough that you've had for two weeks and then it settles down fine that's absolutely fine but if it's anything longer than that or certainly if it's getting towards six to eight weeks then we need to see you and it absolutely is not a waste of time so prepare for the appointment take somebody with you if you want to take somebody with you so that you've got somebody else that's taking in the information for you uh, and make sure that you get all of your questions answered. And I often suggest people actually write their questions down because you get into a consultation and everything goes out of your head or somebody mentions the word cancer and it completely floors you. So write all of your questions down, write all of your symptoms down. And at the end of the appointment, just say, can I just check my list and make sure that you've actually done everything that you wanted to do and you know what the next step is. Those are really practical um, suggestions about how people can make the most of their appointment time, be prepared, be prepared in advance of their appointment, but also ensure at the end of the appointment, they understand which questions have been answered and what the next steps are. Emma, turning to you on that tricky question about NHS and capacity, is there anything in terms of people who are coming through the cancer pathway and how they can best um, make use of the, the services that are available while they're being diagnosed uh, and what sort of things you would encourage them to do in terms of preparing for, for whether it's investigative uh, um, tests or preparing for the next appointment with, a, with, with someone at the hospital and what they might hear? Um, so I think obviously the first appointment, I think, as Carol alluded to, can be quite scary. Um, and we make sure that we do write things down for people so they've got information to take away. So we we always give them a, a Roy Castle um, booklet um, that's relevant to, to their diagnosis. And our lung cancer nurses also spend a lot of time just writing things down and going through things. Um, I think one of the other things that actually is really important is keeping fit and active. Um, so I think sometimes the inclination is for people to think or certainly family members to think they're not very well, they must sit down and they mustn't do anything. And actually um, what we talk to people about um, when they come to clinic are um, things like nutrition. So making sure they eat well, keeping physically fit, because what we want to do is have people as fit as they can possibly be so that whatever treatments we have, they'll be able to cope with. Um, and we also offer a lot of psychological support. So we know that it's a very stressful time. Um, so we go through all of those things. But I think one of the things that I would say that you can certainly do for yourself whilst you're going through the pathway is just trying to keep active um, because it will help keep you fit for treatment. But also it will help you, I think, mentally often just even going out for a walk. So we'll talk to people about targets that they may be able to aim for with a view that even if this is a cancer, actually you're as fit as you can be. Um, to be able to cope with any treatment. So I think those are the things that we very much go through with people um, whilst they're even being worked up for diagnosis. We are proud to produce the only lung cancer magazine in the UK, Inspire. Each issue features inspirational stories, latest lung cancer news, medical and research updates, and the work being carried out by Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation. Read the latest issue now at roycastle.org. And again, I would imagine, Carol, in primary care, you will see 
people with a cancer diagnosis with perhaps other health conditions, does the primary care team have a role to play in terms of encouraging people to keep well? And we know for a, a proportion of people with a lung cancer diagnosis, they will either be current smokers or perhaps have previously smoked. Is that something that you can get advice from your primary care team about? Yeah, so smoking is something that I think very few patients would come into either the primary care primary care or secondary care not and expect not to be talked to about but I think what we need to do is actually really help people to successfully quit smoking and this is even you know this is preventative work as well so this is to stop people getting a cancer diagnosis and if they've got other things wrong so if if they've got type 2 diabetes type 1 diabetes if they've got coronary heart disease we manage all that to make sure that that's as best controlled as it possibly can be but the smoking one smoking services aren't as good as they have been in the past they are variable depending on which region you're in so in the region that I work in I work in Gloucestershire we can refer patients to our healthy lifestyles Gloucestershire program which has got trained people to help smokers to stop other areas will use their community pharmacist to do that but we know that if you're a smoker you are four times more likely to give up smoking if you have the support of a healthcare professional and medication as appropriate so nicotine replacement something like that just to get you over that and actually to, to if that's one thing primary care can really do is support you through a quit attempt so that when you come up for your surgery you're doing better than you would have been without so i think that's really important and as you say emma around it's sort of what we do in primary care we, we we look at the whole person and we look at what we can do to improve the whole person and it is around as you say keeping fit eating well mental sort of mental support making sure things are as they should be and we know that post-covid there's an awful lot of patients that are far less less fit than they used to be. We had big populations that were shielding, so they'd become quite deconditioned. But it is encouraging people just to do what they can and to move forward on that. So smoking, stop smoking, be, remain active. It's not about exercise, it's about activity. Eat well. And then the other thing is alcohol. So if you've got somebody that is drinking more than they should, this is a really stressful time and it's really hard to give up smoking or to give up alcohol. But it is around that making the person as fit as possible to prepare them for whatever treatment they're going to go through. So it's almost like getting in training for for treatment. Would that, would that be useful, Emma? Do, do you feel yeah. that pati- patients yeah. could get fit no I think I think that's exactly I mean so we've got a term called prehabilitation which um has a sort of you know before you're rehabilitating so we would be pushing patients very much to do that and that is something that you can take on board and I think a lot of people think it's not worth stopping smoking what's the point I've been diagnosed with lung cancer and actually it's so important because even if you have lung cancer that we can't cure all of our treatments are more effective if you can stop smoking. So we would absolutely be providing support for stop smoking. Um, and we would often want people to be leaving our clinic with a supply of nicotine replacement therapy and, and, a, and a plan and a goal. Um, but no, I think you're, you're right. I think it's it's about people having small things that they can do um, to try and make, because lots of things I think you can feel a bit helpless and a bit like you have no control. And I think there are there are things you can take control of that maybe will make things a little bit easier and can help with that that journey. Um, so yeah, absolutely, you can be in, in, in training, as you say. In training for treatment, that's our, our phrase for, for, for this podcast. <laughs> that's a um, good catchphrase. <laughs> um, and I, I, as you say, Emma, I think the important thing is about 
giving people the opportunity to do what they can to support themselves as they approach a cancer treatment. And again, I think it can also be be quite overwhelming if you're perhaps a family member or your husband, wife, son, daughter, parent faces a cancer diagnosis. It can sometimes be difficult to know what to do to make it better. Um, so are practical things like supporting someone if they are a current smoker to stop being around being supportive being at the appointment to help process all that information what what sort of do would you have any any advice that you'd want to share with with supportive family who might be involved in the diagnosis no I, th I think um, the family support is crucial we always when we ask people to come up to clinic and um, want them to bring someone with them um for the very reasons that you say so to offer support for that appointment to take in perhaps some of the information that people haven't been able to take on board um, and to, to know so that they can plan as well. Um, and, our, and our lung nurses don't just support the patient, they're there to try and support the whole family. So if there is something that um, a family member wants to talk through, then we're very happy um, as long as the, the patient's happy to sit and have a chat with them about things as well. Um, so we, we want them to feel that they're part of that um, journey and they play an incredibly important role um, in supporting the person going through that in whatever way they feel able to. So yeah, definitely they're, they're crucial. And Carol, any thoughts on that? Yeah, and again, as I say, in primary care, we, we deal with whole families. And I mean, every, all, every single one of us is registered with a primary care practice. And I think it's really important for family members, for carers, for relatives to, to, to look after themselves as well. And I think it's quite an easy time to forget their health needs because the focus is on the person with the diagnosis. And I think it's really important that that those people around that are supporting are there to support. And to do that, you need to, look, to make sure you're looking after yourself. And again, as I say, general practice is very busy. It seems very hard to get an appointment. Everybody seems really rushed, but this is important. And it is around making sure that the patient is being well supported by the people around and those people are being supported as well. And I think primary care has a big place to play there. And I think if, if you're in the middle of, of, of a diagnosis, it can feel quite worrying that perhaps am I getting the best, quickest access to, to the, the most successful treatments that are available. Emma, is that something that you hear from patients is it something that causes worry to people who are, who are coming for diagnosis and and how fair do you think it is the kind of the kind of coverage that we see about cancer services um i think often what um certainly gets covered in the media is always very negative in terms of um long waits for treatment um very uh you don't see very many positive um, news stories, I think. And certainly I think lung cancer suffers quite a lot from, from having this sort of very um, nihilistic, negative view in the press, um, which I think does put people off even presenting. Um, I think, um, you know, we recognise that actually um, sometimes people do struggle um, to, to get access to care. And we're trying to look at ways to make that easier and to break down some of those um, barriers that people might feel um, are there and I think we're making a lot of progress um, what we're looking to do is to speed up the pathway even more um, for lung cancer so we're trying to, to bring down the amount of time that people are going to spend in that period of time where they don't know what's happening um, and they haven't started any treatment um, to make that faster than for 
I think any other cancer type at the moment. So we're we're really doing our best to to try and improve things. And I think um, we're making progress. Um, and we've spoken um, in a previous um, podcast about screening, which um, is something that I think is really a positive news story for lung cancer. Um, so, um, you know, we can identify lung cancer earlier in, in people and actually give them treatment with a cure. Um, and that's what we really want to do. So um, I think things are changing in lung cancer and it would be really good to have some positive news stories so that um, we can highlight that to people so that I think it can break down some of those barriers and some of those um, fears that people might have. Carol, we know that recently that we have seen some negative coverage about waiting times and access to primary care. And if you're in the middle of a cancer diagnosis, you might also be aware of the kind of coverage around UK cancer outcomes and whether we're treating and diagnosing people quickly enough. Do you at primary care have a role to reassure people? Yeah, and I, th I think the first thing to say is there. there's a, also a lot of negative press around primary care at the moment, and as you say, around difficulty around access. But I think it's important that people realise that every single primary care practice, every single GP practice will have some way of accessing a GP on the day. So it may be that you can't book an appointment three weeks in advance, but they all have systems where they can see patients on the day. So if you have symptoms that are worrying you, you, you can go in and speak to somebody. And likewise, if you're waiting for a cancer diagnosis and you're anxious and you need somebody to talk to, again, it's a good use of that sort of system. And I think that's the first thing to be aware of. I think the other thing around negative outcomes with cancer diagnosis is when we've had a few advertising campaigns. So we've had a few television adverts, for example, that say, have you cough for three weeks or more, go see your GP. But I think there's something from a primary care point of view around raising awareness of the symptoms of lung cancer so that when patients do present or when they're in for something else, if they've got these niggling symptoms, they realise that they should they, they really need to be doing something about it. So I think there is that whole raising awareness type thing and getting people in earlier. And, and, and as you said, Emma, the screening programme will help towards that screening program is a fantastic thing the only thing with the screening program is it doesn't cover the whole population it's only going to cover people that smoke or have smoked and we know that lung cancer in people that don't smoke does happen and is on the rise so i think it is it is around making sure that when patients have symptoms they know how to access services on the same day it's around raising awareness around those symptoms and then i think the other thing is as you say the average gp will probably only see one lung cancer case a year it's making it high on the, the GP or the nurse's agenda so that when they see a patient that coughs, they don't automatically do the cough, smoke, probably COPD route. They say, cough, smoke, what do I need to do about that? So that they do fully investigate at an early stage. Because I think when you're busy, when you're rushed, it's very easy to skip a few steps and get patients onto the wrong pathway. And we need to get them onto the right pathway. We hope you've enjoyed this Let's Talk About Lung Cancer podcast. For even more information on all lung cancer related matters, please visit roycastle.org. We look forward to you joining us next time.